The Biden administration on Thursday announced its ninth arms sales to Taiwan. The 600 million U.S. dollars deal included missiles and equipment related to F-16 jets. Predictably, this provoked a furious outburst from China, which demanded an end to American military sales to Taiwan. U.S. Secretary officials said the sale was in line with its Taiwan Relations Act, adding that the U.S. would continue to strengthen Taiwan's self-defense capabilities, and that is to ensure China understands that there is a high price in attacking Taiwan and to prevent an attack before 2030. The U.S. Biden administration on Thursday announced its ninth arms sale to Taiwan. In the form of about 18.9 billion NT of 300 missiles that can be mounted on F-16V fighter jets, this included 200 AIM 120C8 advanced medium-range air-to-air missiles with an effective range of 160 kilometers, and 100 AGM-88B high-speed anti-radiation missiles designed to hone in on electronic transmissions coming from surface-to-air radar systems. The two types of missiles that the U.S. agreed to sell us this time are all types of munitions that the Air Force has already completed combat capabilities for, and some functions have been strengthened and upgraded. This also symbolizes the importance that the U.S. attaches to Taiwan's national defense and mutual trust in security matters. These two types of highly sensitive precision ammunition were permitted to be sold to Taiwan. Not surprisingly, this caused China to lash out. We urge the U.S. to stop selling arms to Taiwan and end U.S.-Taiwan military ties and stop creating tensions in the Taiwan Strait. We want to do that. That's part of the,、uh, our support under the Taiwan Relations Act. There's no reason、uh, for tensions over the strait there to,、uh, to devolve into conflict. Stay committed to making sure that Taiwan has the sufficient self-capabilities that they need. U.S. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby hit back by stressing that the arms sales were in accordance with U.S. policy. After all, the U.S. has significant concerns about China's continuous efforts to undermine regional peace and stability. We are seeing a, a PLA that is growing more capable, but as you described, growing also more willing to take risk,、uh, more willing to use the、uh, military instrument of power in a way that we haven't seen、uh, in previous eras. Eli Ratner, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of Defense for Indo-Pacific Security Affairs, stressed that the U.S. will continue to strengthen Taiwan's deterrence. To ensure China does not dare to invade Taiwan before 2030, I think it's not going to be easy. The challenge is enormous. The capabilities are growing. The ambition is there. We know that.、Um, but what we're doing is reinforcing that deterrence, ensuring that the costs of aggression remain unacceptably high to Beijing. And I think we have a. Uh, pathway to do that. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin recently published a message to the force, which mentions that as the Chinese threat gradually increases and it deliberately attempts to change the international order, the U.S. will strengthen cooperation with its allies in the Indo-Pacific and continue to strengthen Taiwan's self-defense capabilities. The executive yuan has decided to suspend proposed revisions to Taiwan's National Mobilization Act. That's after KMT lawmakers strengthened to threaten to block them in the legislature over concerns about media freedom and suspicions that young people could be mobilized during wartime. 
Premier Chen Jianren said he would instruct the military to step up its communications with society and clarify that there had never been talk of students going to the battlefield or manufacturing weapons or a media clampdown. Opposition politicians are continuing with their criticisms, except for the Taiwan State Building Party, which says Taiwan cannot afford to be idle amid China's threats. Proposed revisions to the All-Out Defence Mobilisation Readiness Act have been branded by critics as sending kids off to war at the age of 16 and clamping down on the free press. As controversies intensify, even though the government has promised to suspend deliberations, the Taiwan's People Party is still continuing to lambast the Tsai Ing-wen administration. Youth mobilization involves schools, universities and colleges being required to draw up name lists for youth to be mobilized. And even the education ministry has admitted it has been under unprecedented pressure. The government's powers to do whatever it wants to about media censorship are far too large. We had similar doubts about a previous proposal regarding the NCC. The provisions giving authority to the military don't stipulate if this occurs in peacetime or wartime. This causes suspicions that military control is being covertly becoming part of government operations, which is similar to martial law. Because our views on the National Mobilization Act were influenced by cognitive warfare, the government immediately abandoned this issue and tried to calm things down and even delayed revisions to the act. Later on, if we have other laws relating to wartime mobilizations and emergency decrees, if the government abandons this debate every time we've been swayed by fake news, then at the end of the day, if an emergency erupts, we can say that we in Taiwan are not prepared at all. The TPP is criticizing the revisions. The Taiwan State Building Party support them and the KMT is attacking them day by day. A DPP lawmaker called on opposition politicians to stop all the tongue lashings and smears. This is an issue relating to national security. I don't want opposition parties stigmatizing this so that many people feel this is problematic. First, all these suspicions should be cleared up and everything should be explained. Second, the new laws themselves are still in the drafting stages with the Ministry of National Defense, and they haven't even reached the stage where they are sent to cabinet. We as a nation are one, and national security belongs to everyone. Sometimes attacks and smears should stop before we all get carried away. Everyone needs to clarify things so that people don't panic. In particular, we've requested the Ministry of National Defense to communicate more with people of all walks of life in society so everyone can understand the importance of the National Mobilization Act, and we will solicit everyone's opinions to make the best possible amendments to the law. We absolutely won't be requiring students to go to war, nor require students to make weapons and there will be no clampdowns on the press. Premier Chen has asked the Ministry of National Defence to strengthen communications with the public. He says he will clear up all the controversies, hoping to reduce suspicions in society generally. March 10th is Tibetan Uprising Day, which commemorates the 1959 Tibetan revolt against the People's Republic of China. Ahead of the revolt's 64th anniversary next Friday, Tibetans in Taiwan and human rights groups called on Taiwan to continue supporting Tibetans, Uyghurs and Hong Kongers. Let's hear from a representative. 
以这样的方式，所谓和平解放西藏的假的议题，统治入侵西藏以后。Under the false claim of a peaceful liberation of Tibet, the Chinese government took control of Tibet. Now a nation is being exterminated. Taiwan is a treasure island for democracy. If Taiwan in the future goes the way of Tibet, Xinjiang, and Hong Kong, I can only imagine what will become of this beautiful treasure island. So, as we remember the Tibetan uprising, we must learn from history. We must all protect ourselves so that similar things don't happen to this democratic island. The head of the Taiwan Parliament Group for Tibet, Freddie Lin, says that as democracies have become more united, more people have been willing to speak up for Tibet once again. He said he hoped the people of Taiwan would do so too. A rally for Tibet will be held on Sunday in Taipei, starting from the MRT's Zhongxiao Fuxing Station and ending at Taipei 101. On the anniversary of the uprising next Friday, a memorial event will be held at Liberty Plaza. Recently, the National Health Insurance Administration announced that more than 5,400 medications will become cheaper in April. The biggest price drop will be for Ibiza, a brand-name drug used to treat Alzheimer's disease. With a price cut of 30 percent, reports have emerged that the drug's manufacturer may pull out of Taiwan. The NHIA on Friday clarified that the medication would still be available in Taiwan as other pharma companies are producing identical medication, although it wouldn't be with the moniker Ibiza. These medicines on the counter include several treatments to lower blood pressure. They are all in an NHIA list of more than 5,000 medicines that will soon have lower prices. The biggest price drop will be for heart medications, which will see prices fall by about 9%. The second biggest cut is for medicines for the nervous system. They have their value, and many patients take these medicines. If you cut their prices and they stop getting produced, you'd end up having to switch to a more expensive drug, and that would not save the NHI system any money. One of the medications set to become cheaper is this medication for Alzheimer's disease, Ebixa film-coated tablets, which are produced by a Danish company. The price will go down from 8.9 NT per tablet to 6.3 NT, a drop of nearly 30%, and the biggest cut of all. Reports say the manufacturer has threatened to pull out of the Taiwan market due to the price drop. Patients with moderate to severe symptoms all take Ibixa. There is no way to tell how well the Taiwan-made drugs will do because there is no way to do an assessment. The manufacturer may think that the cost of production will be higher than the price after the cut. I suggest that they provide a cost analysis to the NHIA to reverse the decision. The NHIA says Ebixa has been offered in the system for more than 15 years, and its patent has already expired. That's why its price will be lowered to match the price of generics with the same ingredients, quantity, and format. Ibixa will stay, and there are medicines from five other makers with stable production. Ibixa's agent in Taiwan, for its part, says it will discuss the matter with the NHIA. Chip-making giant TSMC made more than one trillion NT in profits over 2022, and its employees reaped some of those gains. According to its most recent report, employees made an average of three million NT over the course of the year. 
That's an increase of 28% or about 712,000 NT more than the year before. TSMC says the figures include monthly salaries, quarterly performances bonuses, and bonuses from annual profits. It's a marked increase from the average income in 2018, which stood at around 2 million NT. Though the figure fell somewhat in the next year, it only increased in the two following years with 2.3 million NT in 2020 and 2.4 million NT in 2021. Another news regarding TSMC. Reports claim that tensions are growing at the new TSMC chip manufacturing facility in the U.S. Employees at the fab in Arizona are dissatisfied with the managerial style of the Taiwanese chip giant and claimed a report from the New York Times. The news has sparked debate about the viability of replicating East Asian tech industry norms in Western countries. YouTuber Wenrei has linked the, the issue with Samsung's growing pains when it expanded into the U.S. And others are pointing to the link between Taiwan's silicon industry and increasingly robust support for Taiwan and the U.S. TSMC has opened its new fab in Arizona, but U.S. employees are questioning the Taiwanese management culture in the new workplace. Even the New York Times has published a report on what it calls rising doubts, and YouTuber Wen Rei has commented based on his experience working for Samsung. He says that Korean tech giants also went through culture shock when expanding into U.S. labor markets. He believes that TSMC has a successful operating model in Taiwan, and it could succeed in the U.S. too, but not without great difficulty. The whole success of the chip industry in Taiwan cannot be replicated. It has set the scope for a complete chip production chain, including low production costs. High-end chips will continue to be made in Taiwan. The U.S. must make a compulsory action to protect Taiwan. When Ray says the U.S. has realized the importance of Taiwan's silicon industry. That's one reason why, according to the Wall Street Journal, more U.S. troops are being stationed in Taiwan. Meanwhile, silicon industry consultant Chai Huanxin says although TSMC technology is one step ahead of the competition now, it can't get complacent. Engineers in Taiwan and South Korea have certainly been working flat out and busting a gut to stay ahead of the game. That's why TSMC and also Samsung have been able to overtake Intel on advanced manufacturing processes in the last few years. But that doesn't mean Intel is out of the game. Industry experts say TSMC's new venture in the U.S. highlights its weak international management skills. I wonder if Taiwanese engineers won't be quite easily headhunted by Intel or other semiconductor manufacturers when their contracts expire. TSMC needs to think deeply about the bigger picture to be fair to both U.S. and Taiwanese engineers. It seems that TSMC's workplace norms are not easily transplanted to the U.S. If the chip giant wants to make inroads in the West, it may need to be willing to remodel more than just silicon. The CDC has put an order for 10,000 doses of monkeypox vaccines just days after Taiwan reported its first two local infections of the disease. The CDC is also considering expanding eligibility for vaccines to also include people who have an elevated risk of exposure via risky sexual behavior. Let's hear from the CDC. 
Most importantly, we're considering including people who may have been exposed by risky sexual behavior in the previous six months. That's, for example, people with multiple sexual partners, sex workers, people who have sex in sexually oriented businesses, and people with a history of sexually transmitted diseases. Those are the main groups we're considering. To get a vaccine, they'll need approval from an expert. People aged 18 and up can receive the vaccine as an intradermal injection. That way, we can save about one-fifth of our reserves. The CDC says the 1,100 vaccine vials it currently has in stock can be administered to about 5,000 people. Another group that will be soon be eligible to get vaccinated is people who had sex with confirmed cases of monkeypox but did not receive post-exposure prophylaxis. They will still have to wait for their health observation period to be up before getting the shot. This will be further discussed between the government and private associations, with details expected to be released next week. And now we have a real-life K-drama to report. The plot of the romantic comedy Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha has played out for real in Taidong. Accomplished doctor Yang Jing has forging a stellar career in the busy world of northern Taiwan. When she went on a brief holiday in the far north, far south of the country, sorry, she didn't expect to meet a man who would change her life forever. She now works at a rural branch of Taidong Hospital in a little seaside town who has never had its own dentist before. A dentist gives a patient a checkup. This is Yang Jing, who after 10 years of dentistry in northern Taiwan, has taken the unlikely move to work at Taidong Hospital's Chenggung branch, far from where she grew up. And why? Well, you can guess if you've watched the K-drama, Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. My friend took me on holiday in Kanding, and it so happened that my now husband and his sister were running a hostel there. And that's how we met. Young's future husband often made the long trip from Kanding to the north while they were dating. He would quietly sweep her apartment before going home, a thoughtful act that won her heart, she says. The couple married and Young's husband wanted to move back to his hometown to enter the shrimping industry. Young decided, perhaps against the odds, to go with him and set up her dental practice in Chenggung Township. The locals welcomed her with open arms. It's more convenient. It means I don't have to go as far as Taidong City to see a dentist. I sometimes get toothache and it's really horrible. Now with Dr. Yang here, it's very convenient for us on the East Coast. Before she came, there were just three weekly dental appointments available in Chenggung. If patients had a dental emergency, they had to go to Taidong City or Hualien's Yuli Township. Just the travel is at least a three-hour round trip. I think the landscape is beautiful around here, the mountains, the ocean. When I first properly moved here, I was a bit surprised at how early the streets became deserted in the evenings, but I'm not afraid of it. For the residents of Chenggung, Yen's presence is a real boon. As the first dentist ever to be based in the town, she wants to use her expertise to help enhance everyone's dental health. If you feel that these past few months have been particularly chilly, you are not wrong. A meteorologist 
recently said in a post on social media that the past three months from December to February have been the coldest period during the past five years. Temperatures in Taipei dropped below 14 degrees on 32 days, and the average temperature was just 17 degrees. Over in the south, the three months delivered very little rain and raised water shortage alerts in many places. The Central Weather Bureau says the dry spell won't end for a, at least another week. The sun sits up high in the sky, but at ground level, radiative cooling is keeping things chilly, with a low of 7.4 degrees in Xinzhu's Erme Township. According to a meteorologist, these past three months, from December to the end of February, have been the coldest of the past five years. Taipei saw 32 days with temperatures below 14 degrees, just two fewer days than the same period starting on December 2017. The average temperature in Taipei was 17 degrees, also the lowest average in five years. From December to February, the average temperature at the Taipei weather station was lower than the same months from December 2018 to February 2022. The last time temperatures were so low was the three-month period from December 2017 to February 2018. While it's been cold in the north, the south has been experiencing water shortages. The Central Weather Bureau says it will be some time until rains hit the area again. On Saturday, Jilung, the northeast coast, the east coast and mountainous areas in the north may see some scattered showers. Over in the west coast, most places will see sunny to overcast skies and fair weather. After Sunday and until next Friday, it'll all be dry and stable weather. The CWB says the first third of the month will be rather dry, and with temperatures beginning to climb back up, the south's water shortages are set to continue. Locals only hope the plum rain season will come earlier than usual this year.